when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is She and Her. I am Anita Rao. And I'm Sandra Davidson. And if you are a regular listener to the podcast version of our show, you know we often bring on a certain relative of each of ours, our mothers. Well, tonight we are going to bring on one of our dads. And we are gathered here this evening to talk about poop. <laughs> that is right. And I'm going to have to, uh, I'm just, I think I'm going to giggle through a lot of this episode. <laughs> um, because not only are we talking about poop on the air, we're doing it with your dad. Exactly. Which, which is normal for you. Very normal. Very normal. My dad is a gastroenterologist and I grew up in a very poop friendly poop conversation friendly household um, because that is a big part of what he does and we grew up very much surrounded by his research his colleagues going to conferences seeing the things that he that the tools that he uses in his work <laughs> around the house so it's a very comfortable conversation but one can that you, can you explain what his first invention was or his first patent was yes yeah, so his first patent um was essentially a device that is more or less, we called it fake poop growing up, which is a very unscientific term. But essentially it was a device that would help people um, pract- who, who suffer from constipation, who struggle with constipation, practice re-engaging those muscles uh, to help them be able to poop more normally again. Because there is like a biofeedback ability for you to kind of like retrain the muscles that um, control your ability to Defecate. So we'll have to have my dad explain that uh, better. That's my layman's description of his invention of fake poop. But yeah, so from a very early age, we had these samples of fake poop, these silicone poop looking things in our house. And, you know, it was a common topic of conversation. But he is so excited to join us because he is the first ever, well, technically the second ever male to be on She and Her. We once had a man, he and his wife jointly did um, sociology That's research. Right. They were a couple and they researched marital naming. So we that decided was episode two. we could have them on together. But since episode two, we're now in episode 70. This uh, Well, we just released our 71st First episode. episode. So today. it's been more than 70 episodes since we have 
last heard a male voice on this show. So we're without... not sure it's a safe space, but we're going to do our best. <laughs> we're doing our best. We hope our dad, my dad, does not disappoint us. So without further ado, I would like to bring him on to the show. Dad, welcome to She and Her. Thank you. It's a honor and a pleasure to be on your show, Anita and Sandra. <laughs> it is an honor to have you, Dr. Rao. <laughs> Did you hear my description of the fake poop? Uh, no. Oh, okay. Well, Sandra asked me uh, about my experience growing up with you, and I described, you know, very early on your first invention. Um, do you want to just tell us what that is from your point of view? Sure. So way back in the early 90s, you know, we were on a quest to try and simu- develop tools that we can use in a lab setting when we are testing patients and try to simulate a a poop-like device that they can use to expel this. The surrogate that we normally use is a balloon filled with water or sometimes with air. And that never quite simulated how a stool either felt like uh, for many patients. So we were on this quest and with the help of a company, we developed uh, this artificial stool, which for all practical purposes feels looks and has the shape and consistency of a normal stool. And we had it patented. But unfortunately, for various reasons, it was never commercially developed. So that is what happened to that fake poop. So we just had a bunch of them at our house, but the, the wide world didn't get to see them. That's true. Bummer. That's true. We had a bunch of them floating in our house. <laughs> <laughs> so as we've been preparing to have this conversation with you, we've been asking the people, their questions. And it turns out people have a lot of questions about poop and about their guts. Ah, surprise, surprise. Surprise, (laughs) surprise. But I guess my question before we dive into all those questions is, do you find as a physician, there's so much stigma, it seems like to me, um, to talking about this as opposed to other parts of the body or other um, issues that people have. There's a lot of shame to kind of acknowledging that you have a gut issue or a poop issue. Does that come up for you, and why do you think that is? Well, I think you said it so elegantly. Uh, As I always say, you know, if I go to a party, and let's say it's a party where there are some physicians and there are non-physicians in the party, everybody would point out to a person X and say, hey, you know, he is my cardiologist, and person Y, oh, he is my orthopedic surgeon. But rarely somebody will point out to me and say, oh, he's my poop doctor. (laughs) So, so, you know, there is so much taboo attached to this whole thing. And I think this may be partly cultural. And, and, you know, we are maybe right from childhood, we are kind of taught, oh, we shouldn't be talking about pooping issues. We should have learned how to control poop when we're very young. And that's it. Once you're out of diaper, you know, that's the end of the story. This is a very private thing you do privately, which on the other side, now as a physician, it really becomes challenging because many patients um, are not admitting to GI problems or physicians, on the other hand, are also very dismissive of GI problems. And, And therein lies the conundrum that it is very hard for people to get the care they deserve. They don't get early diagnosis many times. And so many of these patients suffer for much, much longer period of time before they really get the care they need. Well, so I, I feel like 
it's interesting because there's this phase of life where I think poop is a funny thing for people to joke about among their friends. But when it comes to actually talking about um, and observing what your norm- your normal poop habits are, it's almost like as an uneducated um, gastro, even basic level person like myself, you don't even know what is normal or what is abnormal. So I think I'd love to hear you start off by saying, what is a recommended healthy uh, pooping routine? Routine, yes. <laughs> okay, that's a good question. So generally we recognize that having three bowel movements a day or up to three bowel movements a week, that range we recognize as normal. So anything more or less, in other words, if you have more than three bowel movements a day, then you most likely have diarrhea. If you have less than three bowel movements a week, then you're likely constipated. So that's the kind of a general uh, uh, number to, to think about. But the other part that we had not focused until the last, I guess, about 15, 20 years, some of my research and others have done, is not only the number or the frequency of stool, but also the consistency of stool is very, very important. Okay, so tell us about that. Yeah. So uh, thankfully to a very famous um, gastroenterologist in Bristol, England, they did a survey of the stool caliber, if you like, or stool consistency in Bristol, England. They did a survey of about 1,000 people. And using that survey, they came up with seven common forms of stool. This is called the Bristol uh, stool scale. I think I've seen you and in an apron that has this on it. I absolutely have it on my apron. And, you know, my, uh, my lovely wife, your mom, who you've had on the show um, multiple times, she also had it on my birthday cake <laughs> when I turned 50. So that was a surprise birthday thing for me. So, you know, just, just we, we shared it in the family very openly, our Bristol stool scale. So, so, so this, this stool form has been a godsend in a way because this um, is a very important point of conversation for me and my patients on a day-to-day basis. It breaks the ice, but many patients then recognize that, you know, you're really talking about them. So otherwise, sometimes what happens is patients say, oh, doctor, um, I go four times a day. So the usual impression from a physician's perspective is, oh, this person is probably having diarrhea because anything more than three times a day is diarrhea. But then you present them the Bristol stool scale, they look it up and say, oh, there it is, doctor, that type one. So, So that for listeners who are probably not familiar with the seven forms of scale, of course, they can always Google and find out very easily. The type one are those very hard pellet-like stools. And type seven is the other end of the spectrum, which is completely watery stool. Now, everybody recognizes these, these extremes. So this patient who I just mentioned having four bowel movements a day, but really having hard stools. And so it is important to find out why. Most likely it is hard and pellety, and the patient's going so many times because the individual is not able to empty and evacuate completely. But if we had not presented the Bristol stool scale and if we had just gone by the number of stools they described, then we may presume that they have diarrhea. And in fact, you may accidentally prescribe 
a medication, an anti-diarrheal to this patient to slow down their uh, flow of stool. Already they're constipated. And imagine what that would inadvertently do. They will make, become even more constipated with this hard stool. So is it normal so to have, a- within a given week, to have poops that are one through seven? Or should you be aiming consistently for level three or four, which is like the normal? Smooth, soft, or snake-like, <laughs> or a sausage shape with cracks in the surface. Right. So I think the, the again, uh, this is going to vary from person to person, culture to culture, etc. But in Bristol, England, 60% of the normal people had between three to five. Okay. So type four is the nice, soft, sausage-shaped stool. Type 3 is a little firmer sausage with some cracks on it. And type 5 is some soft blobs, if you like. That's 3 to 5 is where most normal stool should lie. If you consistently, in other words, more than 25% of your bowel movement is of types 1 or 2, then you have a constipation type of bowel problem. There's a hard hard, hard lumps, and, and so on. That is the type 1 and 2. And again, consistently, that is more than 25% of your bowel movements are types 6 or 7, then you're more likely to have a diarrheal problem. So, if we, so now, although I, I mentioned at the beginning this tool frequency, increasingly we connect the two, the frequency and the consistency before we call someone as normal bowel habit or constipated bowel habit or diarrhea bowel habit. So if you're, let's break down those two extremes. So if you're often having the rabbit pellet-like <laughs> more than 25% of the time, you're saying that's signs that you're probably constipated. Uh, what should someone do if that is the case? So two, three things. The simple things to do would be to first uh, as we always say, look at your diet, make sure that you're taking ad- adequate fiber, fluids, and also you're exercising normally if you happen to be very sedentary. If you already are an active person, you're drinking enough fiber um, and you're taking many liquids, and if you're not on some medications that also tend to constipate, if they are not the case, you really have to talk to a doctor. Most of the time, if you're passing those type 1 or 2 stools, most people will have difficulty. With passing it, they will be straining quite often. They'll have irregular bowel habit, and they will be pushing very hard and spending long time on the toilet. So those are all telltale signs of a constipated bowel habit that needs more help to define what is it. And in terms of six and – or wait, no, I'm getting the scale mixed up. The diarrheal ones, six, six and, and seven. seven. Why is that so common when – you're on your period. Why does your poop change so much? Oh, that's a very good question. So yes, it is. <laughs> what happens? I mean, in, in, in men, fortunately, the, the stool habits tend to be fairly consistent. But women have an important physiological change in their body uh, on a monthly basis, and that is the menstrual cycle. These are menstruating women we're talking about. So these ladies have um, various hormone surges. The progesterone and the estrogen are the two important key key hormones we're talking about. And there is an increase in progesterone, uh, particularly in the mid to the late cycle. And, And then the progesterone levels come down prior 
to the onset of menses cycle. The last four, three days and so on starts coming down. But when the progesterone levels go up, they have a effect on gut motility. They tend to slow down gut motility. Estrogens don't do that, but progesterone does it. Hmm. So there are these specific receptors on the colon muscle wall. These are progesterone-specific receptors. These receptors are very sensitive to circulating blood levels of progesterone. So when the progesterone levels go up, they activate these uh, specific receptors, and these receptors, when activated, they tend to slow gut motility. So that is why a lot of women, just prior to the onset of menses, they, they will see more uh, irregular stool habit or even harder stools if they have a regular stool habit. And often with the onset of menses, for the first week or so or 10 days, they will have more softer stools. So this is a normal fluctuation in most, uh, most young women. And that's because of the hormone surges. Hmm. Interesting. And what, okay, so can you, you mentioned gut motility. Would you just briefly explain what that is? Is that the process of how quickly you digest and eliminate food? That's part of it, Andrew. That's part of it. So the gut motility is very fascinating. In fact, that's the area where, where um, I've been researching and so on and so forth. So each part of the gut has a different motility. Motility really meaning movement, uh, rhythm. Okay, so how does something like stress or anxiety affect stools? Because I, there is this universe of um, thing called anxiety poops. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder if you could tell us what is happening there. So several things happen when you get stressed or anxious. You're activating this whole axis in your body which then produces a lot of a gush of various hormones in the body. They all take a toll on gut. Usually most people with short-term anxiety, they will tend to move more things more rapidly in the gut. They will probably have loose stools or diarrhea, or they will not be hungry. They don't have the hunger sensation anymore. Uh, and so on, because the body is already breaking down enough sugar and glycogen, which is stored in the liver, and it is, uh, it is maintaining the glucose levels in the body, so you don't feel hungry and you feel stressed. But when the stress becomes chronic, this can change. A chronic stress can either present with a diarrhea type of illness or it can present with a constipation type of illness. Both are possible, and each individual responds in a slightly different way, and their guts and their bodies respond slightly different way. So there's so much in popular culture and media that are sort of these biohacks around the gut. And so I want to ask you about some of those, and maybe we can start first with this question of probiotics, which I know is something that you think a lot about. Um, but for the general public um, who kind of sees th these probiotic supplements that they can get at their grocery store, um, a lot of popular media really encourages you to take them. Uh, what is your kind of fast take on probiotics? So, so let's, let's just start for a moment with defining what probiotics are. So probiotics are live bacteria, live organisms that are packed into a small capsule. And generally, there are about eight 
common types of bacteria that are packed into the capsule. Uh, there are usually three or four or five types of lactobacillus, which is often the probiotic that is naturally present in, in fermented uh, milk, such as um, yogurt. In addition, there are some bacteria which belong to the streptococcus group. And, and there is a third very common um, probiotic called bifidobacterium. These are by far the three most common species that are packed into the probiotic. Way back when, about 10, 20 years ago, the amount of bacteria that were packed in a capsule were usually in the 50, 100,000 range, or hundreds of them. Now, because of advanced technology, they are packing in billions. You're talking mm. about 25, 50, even up to 100 billion of these bacteria into a tiny capsule. So at one time, they were probably not that harmful, but now potentially you're really taking in a large dose of these bacteria. Now, for the vast majority of people, it may not do any harm at all because body has normal metabolism. I, we talked about motility earlier on. The stomach has nice hydrochloric acid. Small bowel motility is great. You've got MMCs. Everything is getting down. And very likely, the probiotic is getting down to the colon where it will release the organisms and hopefully those bacteria are trying to restore and balance in colonic flora, assuming, of course, that the colonic flora is somehow disturbed and it is helping to restore. So no harm done. But on the other hand, several things can go wrong. First of all, nobody has really done a proper study. I'm talking about the probiotic manufacturers to actually figure out where is this probiotic getting released from the capsule uh, in patients. Is okay. it happening in the stomach? Right. Is it happening in the small bowel? Where is it happening? They have no clue. Yet, they are being sold like hot candy everywhere. That's one problem. The second issue, as I said, is the amount of probiotic that is being packed in. The third is there are many people who, are, who have major medical problems or are on medications. Probiotics have a place. I prescribe them in certain specific conditions and illnesses. And I think it should be prescribed under medical direction, but should not be taken as a multivitamin. So that, I think, is the important message for the listeners. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Okay. All right, Dad, we're going to enter rapid fire round. 
which is where we try to throw as many questions as we can at you in the next 15 minutes. So, are you ready? Fight away. <laughs> what is your license plate and why is that your license plate tag? Oh, my license plate is Neurogut, and that is because <laughs> I specialize in neurogastroenterology, which is how the nerves control gut and muscle function. And that's the area I, I have developed. I've almost, almost one of the first people who coined the term. And that's why I'm proud to carry that license plate on my car. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so say two people eat the very same spicy burrito, but one of them gets indigestion, but the other one doesn't. Why might that be the case? Great question. Two possibilities. One individual is probably habituated. And therefore, their receptors are much more desensitized, so they will not feel it. The other person has probably not been uh, desensitized over time. That's one possibility. Second is each individual will react differently. Some people will produce more acid in response to various foods. Other people will produce less acid. So some of the acid may reflux up into the food pipe, and that is often the case why people get this burning sensation. Thirdly, it is also possible that the individual who's having more symptoms is having either early signs or already has gastroesophageal reflux disease. So the food is just staying in the stomach. I think stomach has a lot of acid, and it will handle a lot of spicy food. But if that acidic or spicy food comes back up into the food pipe, then I think uh. you're going to get symptoms Okay, how much farting is normal? So this was elegantly studied in one study. Um, <laughs> but I think up to, up to 10 times a day is normal. Wow. But it is not the frequency that is usually bothersome to most people. It's the smell. It is often the smell. <laughs> the smell is the one that is most bothersome to most people. And so some... Uh, you know, farting is, is fine, uh, although some noise can be a little entertaining sometimes or embarrassing sometimes. But it's really the smell that is often the most uh, troublesome <laughs> issue. And, and again, uh, it de- there are various reasons why the fart can become very smelly. And it often depends on the sulfur content. And there are lots of trace gases. And again, that may be indicative of people in whom stool is staying inside their body for a longer time. Also, people have uh, certain organisms called methane-producing organisms inside their colon. They are likely to have more fart and also more smelly fart than those who don't have methane-producing organisms. How do you control? You've told me that I have too much methane in me before. <laughs> how, does, how does one control their amount of methane? <laughs> well, that is a fantastic question, and you so I think this methane is really genetically derived. So people from northern European descent tend to have more methane than So it's mom that um, did this to me. That is correct. <laughs> Your mom also has methane flora. So I think, so I think Does that mean that. you fart more? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, that... Okay, so Dr. Rao, I have to read you this quote the way that it was written to us because <laughs> it just um it makes me laugh <laughs> but okay it is related to something you just said so one of our listeners asked us 
how close to your butthole does poop hang out normally? And I think what they were asking is when you aren't pooping, but you are, you are developing a stool, like how far away from where you eliminate that stool does it sit in your digestive system before you do it? Excellent question, by the way. It's a very, <laughs> very good question. Very good question. Normally, the rectum, which is the last four to five inches of the colon, just sitting above the opening, the anus opening, is empty. Very little, if any, stool in there. When stool gets delivered to this last four inches of the colon, normally you and I will get an urge to go. We may get a very slight urge to go, and we may suppress it and until more stool fills in, and then we may get a more stronger urge to go, and then you may get an urge that you cannot control. You better go right now. So all of those things could happen. Also, some people learn inadvertently to suppress this, and this has happened. I mean, I still remember uh, a school teacher who came to see me years ago, and for some unfortunate reason, you know, she would normally get this urge to go when she was teaching her kindergarten class. And being a kindergarten teacher, she would not go. She would suppress it, and she wouldn't get any more urges in the daytime. And then she would only poop during the weekends, and then it became harder and became harder. Oh, and then she retired, and that's when she came to see me. And she had developed a full-blown problem of where she developed this condition called dyssynergic defecation or incoordinated pooping habit. So... These things can happen. But answering your question very quickly, yes, lower three to four inches is empty. And you only, when it fills, you get the desire to poop. When you travel, why does your poop uh, routine change so much, both the texture and the frequency? Oh, great question. So that is called traveler's uh, constipation, as I always call it. So it happens because your routine is all disturbed and your biorhythm has all been uh, altered. So your sleep rhythm is changed, your eating rhythm is changed, your exercise rhythm is changed, and maybe you're sitting for prolonged periods of time on a plane ride or a car ride or whatever, and your normal activity pattern is changed. All of them have effects on gut. Gut is constantly sensing all of these, and it will reflect in, in everything, and it will reflect in your pooping habit as well. So it is not uncommon if you're traveling and so on, to become mildly constipated. Some people who are more prone to constipation, I ask them to be proactive, eat more fiber, drink plenty, and maybe even consider taking a gentle laxative such as a magnesium capsule or a milk of magnesia or something to prevent that because it can become problematic otherwise. So, when, so one of the side effects of menstruating is bloating, um, and I wonder if you have any tips for dealing with bloating and gas. And I know that they might be two different types of bloating, but any bloating <laughs> tips I think our listeners so, might feel grateful for. There are many different kinds of bloating. I mean, you know, so that will itself be a, a nice topic for us to discuss. But you specifically asked, you know, some menstrual uh, cycle-related bloating, and that is often because of stool backup. That is usually a cause where, you know, there is backing up of stool leading to retention of gas and retention of stool. So the usual thing, if this is a nuisance uh, and becoming recurring, then maybe best would be to take some form of a stool softener or really a gentle laxative just for two, three days. That is not going to hurt or harm anybody at all. And it'll keep the bloating away 
regulate your stool and make it better. Sometimes extra fiber can help, but fiber can by itself also cause more bloating and more gas. So people need to be aware that particularly if you don't take enough fluid with fiber, fiber can cause more bloating and gas. You need to be aware of that. So that's another possibility. Okay, the squatty potty, do you support it and why? You know, it is a fantastic uh, discovery. I only wish that I had the, you know, the business brain to think about it and develop it. And as, as you know, Anita, you and Priyanka, when you had those wonderful <laughs> piano lessons in Prussel School, uh, when you were very young, you know, your teacher, um, bless her soul, she was such a great teacher, but she would have you all sit erect with your knees up on those beautiful piano stools. Those piano stools is what, where I got one of my first ideas for developing the Squatty Party, which we use even today in my lab uh, for teaching my patients biofeedback treatment. So I've been using the same Squatty Party in the form of piano stools for my patients for 30 years. <laughs> they have developed this over the last Dang. five, seven years. They've run with it and made good money out of it. And I'm sure they have helped many, many millions of people in this country. Uh, the way in which we sit on the toilet and we poop is very unnatural. That is not the way we were originally designed by God to actually poop. So squatting is really the correct way to poop. Okay, so we have a bidet at our family home. Um, What is kind of your top tips for wiping hygiene. Um, Why do you recommend a bidet? And for those that do not have a bidet, what should they do instead? So I think ideally, you know, bidet or any form of water douche, I think is probably the best way to cleanse yourself because you will clean all potential irritant fecal particles. They are irritant to the skin. If you leave stool uh, particles in and around the anal area, skin area, it potentially will irritate the perianal region and cause uh, itching and cause uh, problems in that area. So it is nice to have cleanse. Therefore, really either a bidet or even moist wet wipes, they probably will do almost the same kind of effect. That's much, much better than using the harsh toilet paper. I strongly Uh, dissuade people from using toilet paper, particularly patients who have developed some anal problems, including fissure and so on. The harsh paper can be very troublesome and bothersome. Okay. Top three foods to eat if you're having diarrhea? Low fiber foods. Really avoid all vegetables, beans and legumes, all of them that are potentially going to cause gas and anything containing a lot of fiber. Raw bananas particularly can be quite good. And usually the rice diet that people say is very good because rice mostly gets absorbed in the upper part of the small bowl. Very little of rice reaches the colon. So foods that are going to be mostly sitting in your stomach and small bowel and avoids getting into the colon because anything getting into the colon will get flushed out as diarrhea. So those low-fiber foods, also foods that are less fatty and rich are also better. And, and so, you know, simple protein is good, low-carbohydrate low, low diet. So have you ever seen a patient who came in with what they thought were gastro issues, but they were actually something like endometriosis? Many people over, over many, many years, and also vice versa. So 
Endometriosis, as you know, is, is, is where some of the uterine tissue, uh, which is normally sitting inside the uterus, is, has now made its way outside the uterus and has spread either to the abdominal wall or spread to a bowel organ or somewhere else and is sitting there. And then when the uterus becomes active, like in this type of a menstrual cycle, these tissues that are sitting outside, these are called ectopic uterine tissue, they also start secreting and pouring out whatever they're going to pour. So that in turn is okay inside the uterus, but when it's sitting, let's say, on the bowel wall, on the bladder wall, uh, or somewhere else, it causes pain, discomfort, and I've seen people with bleeding in the gut. I've seen people with pain, uh, pelvic pain, and so on. So it is not uncommon to to see this. Um, they're often picked up very nicely by the gynecologist and so on, and treatment usually is quite effective in, in reducing this. Last rapid-fire question. What have you learned from she and her? I really have found Shiener to be a most interesting, most knowledgeable program, uh, not only uh, learning from uh, a feminist perspective, but really learning about how you both have gone about looking at day-to-day issues that young women, your millennial women face, and, and really in a very intriguing, clever manner you've synthesized your questions you've approached them with with precision and really tried to get the answers from experts and in a very methodical systematic manner analyze the subject and provide answers to the lay public i think you guys have done a yeoman's job uh, in, in providing this knowledge i think i applaud you for your hard work for the humor you bring bring in along with this and also for being such good partners in developing the storyline and telling the story as it is. So it has been a great thing for me to listen to it. And in fact, I'm very proud that I'm the first man to be on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) You did well, Dad. You lived up to the hype. You did. Well, okay, so I have one more question. What has listening to Anita do she and her taught you about your daughter? Oh, you know what? That is a fantastic... I have not... I mean, I thought I understood my daughter so well, but I had no idea <laughs> until I really tune into this. I mean, um, some of her um, um, extrovertic habits, some of her introvertic habits. I mean, it is incredible. I mean, I learned uh, a lot both through this and through her other show, yes. really. Uh, I have learned more about my daughter through her media than what I thought I knew about her on a one-on-one interaction. So she is a different lady than who I imagined her to be. So I'm proud of everything she's doing. And uh, and I'm really grateful she's doing such a great job for the public. Thanks, Dad. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It has been a true pleasure and very informative, I must say. Yes. It has been. And you are listening to She and Her. You can find all of our episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, and at sheandherradio.com. We are on Facebook and Instagram at She and Her Radio. And this is just one of the episodes of many of our brand new season of the show. Thanks so much, Dad. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you, Anita. You guys are fantastic. Keep it up. And good luck with all your future shows. 
I know you're doing a great job. Appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you. Love you. Good night. Love you. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.